Amen, church. I can't think of a better way for us to begin this worship service than saying, Jesus, we want you, we need you, and we need you to come, and we are gonna be a church that is ready for you. Our hearts are longing for your return. We need Jesus now. This has been the most chaotic year. I, I read a, a quote that was uh, quoted in an article from uh, New York Times that said uh, 2020 started off with uh, just like 1974 with an impeachment crisis. It quickly turned into 1918 with a pandemic, then into 1929 with an economic crash, then into 1968 with urban unrest and 1992 with Los Angeles when those four officers were acquitted of the beating of Rodney King. Those five pivotal years in our country have happened in the first five months of 2020. Our hearts need to say, Lord Jesus, come. Come, help us, please. We need him. But until he comes, he's left us on this earth to be his hands and his feet, to embody him to our world. And so what we're gonna do very quickly is we're gonna take up an offering because when you give to the church, you help us be his hands and his feet to offer the healing and the hope that can only come through his spirit, through his church. And so if you would, uh, if you've given online before, then you certainly know how to do that. We've tried to make it simpler for you and you can just text the word give. You don't have to text the, the campus or anything like that to uh, that number on your screen or you can certainly give online. It's how Jen and I give. But when you give, you help us embody Christ on this earth as we wait for him to come to make things right the way that he intended them to be until he raptures and calls us uh, home. That's what you're giving to, to support ministries like we support like Beautiful Feet which preaches the gospel and serves the poor. Uh, we, we help with that. Uh, our volunteers were there this week, so thank you uh, for giving. Now, as I said in my email, and I've told you in the videos that I put out this week, that we're gonna take a break from the book of Ruth. We'll start the book of Ruth again. We'll uh, start that back up next week. But today, we're gonna, we're gonna pause, we're gonna take a break, and I've titled this time, Opening Up, because I wanna talk about opening up in different ways. And the first way that I wanted to talk about opening up was opening up for worship. I know a lot of our country is opening up right now with, with businesses and, and even churches. And we have a plan in place. We've been working on it for a long time. It's a plan that we've done slowly and methodically and, and cautiously because we have your best interests, your safety in mind. And, and so we are implementing that plan. Uh, this Sunday is the first Sunday of that plan where we're inviting some of our leadership in just to make sure we get all of our cleaning protocols down, how you'll enter the building, how you'll leave, et cetera. Then we'll do that again on the 14th which, with a little bit broader group. And then we hope to open up for worship services at our three campuses, uh, at our physical campuses on the 21st. And we'll do that with certainly limited capacity, but you'll be getting an email with all of those details. But we're gonna be opening up soon. We're gonna ask you if you're a part of the vulnerable population, please stay, stay there. We are gonna continue to worship on, at our internet campus and we want you to continue to do that. We just, we want the best for you. We want the best for our community, but we plan on opening up 
very soon. And like I said, you'll get an email with more details about that. Now I wanna talk about opening up with current events and the things that are going on in our country today. And I want to start off by saying this is not a political message. This is not a political message by any means. We are a church. Um, I, I want to speak from a spiritual standpoint because ultimately that is what I think is the remedy for what is going on in our country uh, today. I've been talking a lot with our friend James Womack uh, and uh, Destiny Church, uh, Dr. Womack and I, we've been texting back and forth, emailing back and forth all week. He's given me wonderful thoughts on what's going on in our country and how our church can respond, how his church is responding. And uh, so that's what I wanna open up about right now and in just a moment, we're gonna open up the scriptures and how we respond biblically. So if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter nine, please. Matthew chapter nine is where we're gonna be when we look at the scriptures and open up God's word to see how he wants us to respond to what's going on right now. But let me, uh, before I open up about specific current events, let me give you some guidelines about uh, how we're gonna talk about things today. Uh, the first is this, if we're gonna be Monday morning relevant, we've got to address what's going on in our culture. We've got to talk about what's going on on Monday morning. We pride ourselves, and it's our core value, that we are Monday morning relevant, biblical preaching and teaching. So if we're gonna be Monday morning relevant, we have to talk about this. I, you, you are hearing about it from every other outlet and you need to hear about it from a biblical and theological standpoint. So we're gonna be Monday morning relevant today. The second thing that I need you to do, and this is another core value that we have here at Christ Chapel, is we want to exhibit grace to one another through loving and genuine relationships. Grace, I need your grace. Uh, I haven't spoken about uh, the issues that we're gonna be talking about today uh, in the depth that we've been talking about now. I I've never done that before from this pulpit. And guess what? Anything that we do for the first time, we're not very good at. And so I may trip over my words. This certainly isn't gonna be as polished as maybe a, a sermon is for me and has been in the past. Uh, I'm just gonna speak from my heart and I need your grace. I need, I need you to give me grace but that I might misspeak, I might say something that, that you don't understand, and here's what I ask, give me the respect of, of getting into a dialogue. Ask me a question if there's something that you think I misspoke about or, or you misunderstood. We've gotta give each other grace at this time because listen folks, if we don't give each other grace, then we are gonna devour each other in our church from the inside out. And that is exactly what the enemy wants to do, is he wants to divide us inside. He wants dissension within the church to divide us, and we cannot let that happen. I won't let that happen. Please join with me. Don't let that happen. Give each other the benefit of the doubt as we talk about some really hard and really complex things. It's one of our core values, and it's what I'm gonna hold you to, and you can hold me to as well. And then the last little bit, and it's another core values of ours, is unity. I'm gonna ask you to fight for the unity of our church. Fight for the unity of the scriptures. Fight for the unity of believers. We've got to fight for those things. Not fighting against each other, but fighting for unity. The, the elder board is behind what I'm gonna say. 
I told you they're working on a, a position paper that they're gonna be putting out, and I'll give you information about when that comes out, about where you can find it, so you, again, know more about where we stand and can have a, a clearer picture. Okay, so Monday morning relevant, grace and unity. Those are the guiding principles that I hope that you can use as we talk about some really hard and complex things. So let me open up about some current events. First, the killing of George Floyd was wrong. It was wrong, it was tragic, it was evil, it was unjust, it was an abuse of power. And I have been praying for his family and I've been praying for all of those affected by it and I've been praying that justice is served. That was wrong and the loss of his life was certainly unnecessary. And some of you have asked me and you've, I've gotten some really respectful emails, thank you. And you've asked me, Cody, why was the church so slow to speak about that? Why? That's a very fair question. One of the things that I want you to know is that through this uh, outbreak, that we've been filming our services and recording them on Fridays. So what you're seeing right now on Sunday was recorded Friday. So that, that what Ben stood up and prayed about, Ben Fuquay, last, last week, I thought he did an excellent job. But that was recorded on Friday. And you might still say, Cody, it was too slow. You know what? You're right, and I'm sorry. We should have been quicker to speak into that issue. And here's why I know it. Here's why I know we were too slow. We have uh, an African-American female staff member, and uh, she went to my assistant, Kim, and she said, I wanna talk to Cody. So she called me, and uh, I came into the office to, to talk to her. And she said, Cody, I know you didn't mean anything maliciously about not saying anything. And she said, but because you were slow to speak, I didn't know if you cared. And that broke my heart. And I had to apologize to her, and I apologize to you. If my slowness in responding came across as I didn't care, then I'm sorry. We were slow. And I commit to the very best that I can that we won't be slow to speak in the future. Now, about other current events. The things that have followed the death of George Floyd have been protests. And I want you to know that I support peaceful protests. The citizens of our country have a right to do that. And I support them to exercise the, the freedom to speak, exercise their, their right to, to, to peacefully protest and to march and do all of those things for justice. I support it. What I don't support are the, the riots and the violence and, and the looting. I certainly don't advocate or condone any of those behaviors. And I, I don't think anybody that supports those peaceful protests do either. Another thing that I wanna say is I support the, the police officers in our city. We need a good police force. We need good police officers. And certainly there are, have been and we have examples of bad apples in the bunch. And if you are wearing that uniform and you have evil intentions, I pray that your sins will find you out. 
And I pray that you would be removed from that police force because we need people that continue to lay down their life to serve and protect our communities. And I know that there are plenty of wonderful police officers, many who attend our church, who I support, they're humble, humble servants. And we don't need to paint the whole police force with a broad brush, just like we don't need to to paint an entire race with a broad brush. And so I support those police officers and I've been praying for specifically those in our church family as they've been going out to manage these protests. I've been praying for their protection the same way as the protesters need to be protected as well that are protesting peacefully. I've been praying for the police officers' families that, that leave their families every night and their families don't know if they're coming home. I've been praying for them. So that's opening up about some current events and those things that are going on. Now I want to address some of the underlying issues. And the first one is this. Racism is evil. Racism is is a sin, and racism will be judged by God. Let me be incredibly clear about that. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Racism is wrong. And it's a tragedy that that exists in our world, and it's even more tragic if that exists in a church. It should never exist inside the walls of the church. And so let me tell you, Christ Chapel will not tolerate racism. We don't support it, and we're not gonna condone it. We're gonna call it out as evil and as sin, and we're gonna call people to repent if that's in our hearts. There's no place for that in the church of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.28, when Paul's talking to the church in Galatia, he says that there is neither neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male or female. In Christ, we are one. James 2 talks about showing partiality and how showing favoritism or prejudice is a sin. There's no room for that in our church. And now, I've been asked the question, Cody, Did you send out that email on Monday because you're calling Christ Chapel racist? No, I'm not. For those of you that don't know about us as a fellowship, maybe you've just connected to us through this uh, outbreak and you've only been streaming us through the internet campus, that was your introduction to us during this time, you might not know the history. And I'm very proud of the heart that Christ Chapel has of reaching out to people that don't necessarily look like uh, themselves. Uh, For the past 30 plus years, Christ Chapel has been committed to helping people, specifically inside the West Fort Worth 820 Loop. And we've been stepping into those, uh, just like I said in my email, stepping into organic relationships and coordinated service. And we've been doing that through organizations like Hope Farm, like River Tree Academy, like Justin's Place. We've been stepping into schools and mentoring kids, helping with read to win, et cetera, et cetera. Christ Chapel has been committed to that. We've been doing it. Our people have been a part of it. And you, you just might not know that history about us. You, you might not know my history. I, I grew up playing soccer in Texas. I, I grew up uh, playing with people that didn't look like me. I spent many a weekends at Tejano ballrooms with my friends and my family's friends. 
Then when I went off to school, as some of you know, my last two years of college, I was in an all African-American church. I was the only white guy there. And I loved them and they loved me. That's the church that I taught Sunday school in. That's the church that I was baptized in. That's the church that I preached my first sermon in. And they threw me a graduation party, invited my family when I graduated from Baylor. You might not know that history about me. You might not know that history about our church. And like I said, I'm proud of our history. But Christ Chapel, and this is a message I'm speaking to myself, because I'm a part of you, there's more work to be done. There's more work to be done. We've done great things, and I'm proud of the things that we've done because I know your genuine heart, but there's more work to be done. There's more things that we can step into. If we are gonna be a church without walls, we can't sit behind our walls and say we've done enough. We have to get beyond our walls and we have to break through invisible walls and continue to build the body of Christ the way that he intended it to look. You see, because the way that I was raised was that race didn't matter. And and you know what? I'm really glad that I was raised that way because ontologically, it doesn't matter. I I, I don't see people that way. I I see them as just an image bearer of God, who, who they are in Christ. God created them that way. But because God created them that way, it matters. It matters the color of skin that we have, especially if it matters because they're being treated unjustly because of it. We don't live in a world that is based on ontological definitions. We live in a sinful and broken world. A sinful and broken world where sin has to be addressed. And so when I say that there's more to do, Listen to me very carefully, church. I'm not saying that we are going to join a social movement. What I'm saying is, is that we are the movement. The movement began with Jesus. And the movement continues through his church. You see, what needs to happen is we need a spiritual solution that has social implications. We cannot fight these deep-seated evils with natural means. If we really believe that racism is evil, then you can't confront it with a natural program. You can't contain it with, with, with just training or education. All of those things are absolutely important, but we have to go for the root, and the root is sin. You see, Jesus already started the movement, and it's an unstoppable movement. It's the movement of his church. It's who he's called us to be, to step into the brokenness of our world, to be his hands and his feet, and to exhibit his heart. That's why there's more work to be done for us, Christ Chapel, and it begins with us as individuals. And so what I want to show you is now I want to open up the scriptures. I just, want to, I just want to show you what the scripture says and how he is calling us to step into our current situation and the things that are going on today. So I ask you to 
turn to Matthew chapter nine, and I want you to look at Matthew chapter nine, verses 35 to 38. And let me go through it, and I just wanna read through it, and then I wanna go back through and explain it. So beginning in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now the gospel of the kingdom was, I am here to be your king. Live your life in submission to me. Live the way that I, when I rule and reign, live the way I live. And it says he was healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Why? Because they harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he turns to his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let me paint the picture for you again. In Matthew, Jesus is doing awesome things. He's healing diseases. He, he is casting demons out of people that are, that, that are demonically possessed. Incredible things are going on. So much so that the crowds begin to flock to Jesus because they want, they want to be healed of their diseases. They want to be freed from these demons, these evils. And this crowd begins to come around Jesus. And it says that he looks at the crowd and it says he's filled with compassion. Now there's two things that I want you to know about that term. When it says that he's filled with compassion, uh, the way that it literally translates, it's actually kind of weird. It, it, it means that he is moved in his entrails. He is moved at the core of his being. He might even be sickened. Or, or he's just grieved. And maybe the things, folks, I know that George Floyd video is online, and I'll be honest, I started watching it, and I couldn't watch it. I was sick in my stomach and if you're not sick at your stomach looking at that, there is something wrong with you. There, there's something wrong. If you can sit and callously watch somebody die, it's not right. And Jesus looks at this crowd and he says, I have compassion for them. Why? Notice how he describes the crowd. It says that they are harassed. That word harassed means torn up. Literally means torn up. They're just ripped to shreds. It says they were harassed and helpless. And that term helpless is really interesting. It, it's a, it comes from a verb. It, it's not a good, helpless is not a good translation. It, it actually comes from a verb that means to cast down or to throw down. To, to, to be cast down, to be oppressed. That, that's what he says. It says that he's moved in his gut. He's sickened because he looks out at the crowd and they're torn up and beaten down. And I want you to notice 
the cause that he gives to that. What does he say? Look back at that. He says they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know their shepherd. And they're coming to Jesus. Because what is the role of a shepherd? Remember, what is the shepherd's role? The shepherd's role is to care for and protect the sheep. And Jesus says he's the good shepherd in John chapter 10. Remember, he's the good shepherd. He said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says in John 10, 10, I'm the good shepherd. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he looks out of compassion because these people don't know him as their shepherd. They need to be cared for. They need to be protected. And so Jesus acts because, see, one thing that, that you need to know is when Jesus, every time through the Gospels, when it says Jesus is moved to compassion, he always acts. He always does something. He's not just compassionate and sorrowful and sits still. He always does something about it. He always follows sorrow with action. And I want you to notice what his action is here. Because he's, when he's moved to compassion, as he sees these people who don't know him as the shepherd, who does he talk to? He doesn't talk to the crowd, interestingly enough. He turns to his disciples. And he commissions his disciples to go into the crowd and to do what he has been doing. And remember, what has he been doing? Look back at Matthew chapter nine, verse 35. It says that he was going throughout the, the villages and the towns and the cities, proclaiming the good news and displaying his power. And so he turns to his disciples and he says, okay, disciples, look at how many people are harassed and helpless. The harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of people that need to know that I'm the good shepherd, so guess what? I'm sending you out to do what I've done. I'm sending you out to go and proclaim the good news that there's a good shepherd who wants to care for and protect the sheep and go display my power to them. And that's our call. That's our call, church. You see, Jesus's solution to seeing the people that are harassed and helpless is to deploy his disciples to go out and to do his work. And that's what we're called to do. We're not just called to be sorrowful, although that's important. We're called to go out and proclaim the good news and display the power of the king. And so let me, let me just tell you explicitly what that means for us today. Here, here's what I mean by proclaiming the good news. The good news is this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses three and four, that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That is the gospel, that is the good news, is that we can now have our sin problem resolved, taken care of, erased, removed from us as far as the east is from the west, so that we can now have a right relationship with the good shepherd, the Father. That's why Jesus laid down his life for the sheep, 
That's what a good shepherd does. And he laid down his life for us so that we could be reconciled to God, that he would take care of our sin problem. See, what is going on in our world is a sin problem at its very root, and its manifestation is injustice. It is oppression. It is racism. But at its root, it's sin. And that's what we are called to confront is the sin problem with the gospel is that you can be made new. If, he, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. In, in, in fact, in that same chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter five, where that verse is, after it talks about us being reconciled to God through Jesus laying down his life for us and being resurrected so that we can be reconciled to God, it says that we are now Christ's ambassadors to go out into the world to be ministers of reconciliation. Now, we're not supposed to be ministers of reconciliation on a natural level, first and foremost. We are supposed to be ministers of reconciliation, reconciling people to God, reconciling people to him. Because see, the good news has good implications. Because when we, uh, when we accept Jesus' free gift of salvation that he paid for our sins in full, and we are now reconciled to the Father, the implications of the good news are endless. Now we have a good family, a family that crosses every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every skin color. We now have an inheritance forever. We now know that this world is not all we have. That he's taken us home to a place where this doesn't exist anymore. Where evil is done away with. Where there's no more tears. There's no more weeping. There's no more crying. There's no more sorrow. There's no more death. There's no more destruction. That's good news. That's great news. That's the best news that anybody could ever tell. You see, because that ponts us together in a way that no program can. No legislation can. Not, nothing can bond us together the way that Jesus builds the family of God together. But that only comes through us proclaiming the good news. And it comes through us displaying his power. Let me go back real fast because I want you to see how Christ himself unites us together with everyone. Look at Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. For he himself, this is talking about Christ, is our peace. I mean, is that not what we've been praying for? Is that not what we've been asking for? Is that not what we've been begging for? Is that not what people have been protesting for? Is that not what people have been kneeling for and marching for? Is peace. Where does that ultimately come from? It's from Christ, who has made us both one. He's talking about the, the Jew and the Gentile. And has broken down in his flesh through his death, burial, and resurrection through the gospel the dividing wall of hostility. Was that a physical wall? Some say it was the physical wall of the temple. 
but there are plenty of invisible walls of hostility. Those are only broken down through the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is the head of the church, and we are his body and his bride, his people, regardless of our skin color, regardless of the language we speak, regardless of the continent we are born on, regardless of, of the time we were born since the day of Pentecost. We are his church and his bride. And we've got to proclaim that to people. That's our role as the church. And we've got to also display his power. That's what Jesus was doing in Matthew chapter nine in the preceding chapters. And that's what he commissions his disciples to do, to go out and do in Matthew chapter 10. He gives them authority to go out and proclaim the good news and display his power. And the world needs to see us display his power now. They need to see the divine power in and through us of God. It's the only way that change, true ultimate change, the change that we all wanna see is gonna happen. It's gonna take his divine power. In fact, uh, the verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses three and four says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We can't confront evil with natural solutions. Evil must be overcome with only divine power. It's the only thing that can overcome that. For the weapons of our warfare, those who are spiritual, the church, Christ chapel, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's what we wanna see. We wanna see strongholds destroyed. That only comes through the divine power of God's spirit. His spirit that indwells all believers who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ. And I'll give, you a, I'll give you a great example of how fighting evil with divine solutions through the power of the spirit, and we know what the, we know what the fruit of the spirit is, remember? Go back to Galatians chapter five very quickly. Galatians chapter five says, the works of the flesh are obvious. They're dissension, they're, they're factions, that all of those things that we're talking about that's evil. But what are, what's the work of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, the only way we overcome evil is with the work of the Spirit. And like I said, I'll give you a good example of that. When Amber Geiger was on trial for uh, Botham Jean's murder, when the sentencing happened, Botham Jean's brother asked if he could hug Amber Geiger. That will forever be burned in my brain. What a powerful, powerful statement of love, of God's spirit at work, destroying strongholds not further driving a wedge and division and causing a greater problem, but a solution. Love, what a powerful, powerful demonstration. And we need to continue to do that also. And so you're probably asking me, great, Cody, 
What are we going to do as a church then? I, I, I'll, I'll buy into it that, that we need a spiritual solution that has social implications. So what are we going to do as a church? Well, let me remind you, you are the church. What are you going to do? We have to do this. You know, I, I've, I've been talking with a lot of folks this week, and I, I was sitting down with that same staff member that I mentioned earlier, and I, I told her, I said, I don't know what to do right now. I'll be honest with you. And I said, but it's also unfair of, for me to ask you to give me all the answers. But we have to do this together. And we have to do it step by step. And praise God, she's committed to it. She's committed to stepping forward with us and helping me understand, helping me learn. Because we're gonna just have to follow the spirit on this. And I need you to do the same thing. So where our church starts in addressing this is when you as a believer, you as a Christian, begin to address this in your own life. And that's where we're gonna start. We're gonna start as individuals. And so let me give you three very quick applications. Because yes, we need legislation, but we also need legislators that are believers that have a theological and biblical mind, that have the heart of Christ. Yes, we need education, but we need educators that have the heart and mind of Christ. We need Christians to be Christians. We need you to be the church. So let me give you three very quick practical applications. The first is this. I need you to lament for those who are hurting. If you are unaffected by what is going on today, then you may not have the heart of Christ. Either that or you don't have the perspective that Jesus has. You don't have his, his eyes. And maybe you are insulated from many of the things going on in the world. Jesus looked out at the crowds. He looked out into the world and he saw what was going on and he hurt for the world. We've got to have a heart for the world, and we're not going to be moved to action until we're hurt for what's going on. And that's why I told you, every time you see Jesus move to compassion, he's always moved to action. And we've got to have the same thing. And I pray that you are moved to compassion so that you're moved to action in your own sphere of influence, in your own life, in your own family, in your own workplace. And part of that begins with just lamenting, hurting for those who are hurting. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 says, that we are part of his body as he made us one. And when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. I hurt for what's going on in the body. I hurt for my brothers and sisters whom I've talked to this week who said, yeah, I've had to, I've had to have the talk with my kids about if you get stopped by a police officer, here's how you act. I hate, I hate that. I, I hate the fear that is in my brothers and sisters' lives and in their hearts. I hate that they live under that. We, we say this is the land of the free, and man, I am all for that. 
I don't want it to be the land of the fearful. So my heart hurts. If your heart doesn't hurt, ask Jesus to change your heart or to give you his eyes and a different perspective to what's going on in the world. We gotta lament for those who are hurting. Second, you gotta listen to people who aren't like you. Maybe you aren't lamenting because you're not listening to anybody who's not like you. The world doesn't revolve around you just like the world doesn't revolve around me. And we've got to listen to people who are going through things that they, they, they don't live where we live. They don't do what we do. They don't. That's a great, healthy thing to combat selfishness and narcissism. You've got to listen to understand people because that's what God cares about, our people. And let me tell you, let me give you a great litmus test that you can use on yourself to determine whether you're listening to understand someone or just listening so you can respond. If you're listening to understand someone, the way that you usually respond is with another question because you want further understanding. If you're only listening to respond, then you're listening to them and you usually say, yeah, but what about? Yeah, but what about? Yeah, but what? That, that's argumentative. I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying we can't have healthy dialogue. I'm saying we need to begin with a humble perspective that says, I'm here to listen. And you know what comes right along with listening is learning. And I've been learning a ton this week and Man, there are so many spots where I'm blind in my own life that I'm just ignorant to. Not, not malicious, not, not malicious, not, not anything that I'm trying to do, but just things that I didn't, I'm not aware of. We've got to listen to people. We've got to learn. And then we've got to love our neighbor as ourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells his disciples that the world will know that you are mine by the way you love one another. So, yeah, we got to love our brothers and sisters, but you also have to love your neighbor. And you say, who's my neighbor? Great question. Glad you asked. Luke chapter 10, somebody asked Jesus the same question. Jesus, who's my neighbor? Now, he's asking from a wrong motive. It's just because he wants to justify himself. And Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, where righteous and religious people walked around someone that was torn up and beaten down. And the Samaritan stopped and helped. And Jesus asked that same person, who do you think was the neighbor to that one who was hurting? And he said, the one who showed mercy. Jesus says, go and do likewise. We've got to love mercy, walk humbly, do justly. That's Micah 6.8. That's what God has called us to do. Church, we have a very serious, very complex problem going on in our world. And we've got to address the root, the sin and the evil in our world. We've got the key. We've got the spiritual solution and the answer and the key is Jesus. And his means and his method is us, the church. 
This is a very opportune time for the church. Remember, that, that's, what, that's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter nine. The harvest is plentiful. This is the time for us to be the church, to go out and tell people there's a good shepherd who wants to care for and protect and lead the sheep to life and life abundantly. We just need to step into that opportunity. But will we go? Because the laborers are few. This is the call. This is the charge of us to be a church without walls. And it begins with prayer. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, that's you and me, into the harvest to connect people with the good shepherd, to impact our culture for Christ. And so we're gonna do that right now. We're gonna pray. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do where, wherever you are is I'm gonna ask you to get in a posture of prayer. My posture of prayer this week, I, I've asked God for wisdom and thank you for praying for me. I've asked God for guidance. And my posture of prayer this week has just been with my hands open, like, God, I need your help. We need his help. So I want you to get into a posture of prayer wherever you are. And we're gonna spend some time praying. I'm gonna lead you through some things to pray for. And we're gonna go to the Lord in prayer. So as you're in that posture of prayer, one that shows your humility before the Lord, Let's go to him and pray to the Lord of the harvest. So pray with me. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. David says, search me and know me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you ask God to search your heart Ask him, Lord, is there any offensive way in me? And anything he brings up, confess it of sin, repent. Turn from evil. Turn to the Lord. Ephesians 6 talks about spiritual warfare and we're in a spiritual battle. It says that we're in a battle not against flesh and blood but of the rulers, powers, and authorities of the dark, dark spiritual realm. So we gotta put on the full armor but Paul also says to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. I want you to pray for our brothers and sisters that are hurting and grieving right now.
God would meet them in a very tangible way. to the prayer that you just prayed. I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 when Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord and he says, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. The laborer is you. So would you say, here I am, Lord, send me. Make that commitment to obedience now. God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would destroy strongholds of evil in this world. And I know that you're going to use us as a church. Would you give us courage? Would you give us unity? Would you give us the assurance that you are always with us? even to the ends of the earth. And would you make us one, one in Christ, just like you prayed. We beg for it, please, in our Savior's precious name. Amen.